it should be something else. It shouldn't be these things that just seem to come easy to me. It can't be as simple as I'm really good at building relationships and connecting with people. It can't be that. It has to be something else. And I think women, especially in my experience, it's a real trap for women to acknowledge and really truly acknowledge what their strengths are and what comes naturally to them and be confident in that and lean into it. Welcome to the Driven Woman Podcast, where career and business women operating in traditionally male-dominated spaces come for advanced conversations to accelerate their journey towards success. You'll be inspired to abandon all paradigms around money, influence, lifestyle, and achievement so that you can create your own rules. I'm your host, Sophia Bryan, international lawyer and leadership coach for women. Are you ready to unleash the leader within? Let's get into today's episode. Hey, Driven Women. My guest today is the founder of Revisionary, a boutique consulting firm providing executive coaching, leadership development, and culture services to human-focused businesses around the world. Her innovative approach is an ideal mix of empathy, energy, and edge, challenging her clients' beliefs and assumptions so that they can shift their perspectives and take the powerful actions required to realize immediate success. I love that. She values connection, courage, and curiosity and brings an unwavering sense of humor to everything that she does. Make welcome for my guest, Celine Williams. Hi, Celine. Hi, thank you. I'm really excited for this. I'm, I'm, I realized as you read that, I was like, I'm really glad that it says something about a sense of humor because I, I <laughs> tend to like to laugh on podcasts. So I'm very <laughs> excited about this. That is welcome to hear. And I just want to know before we get into the questions, just the, the warm up to this conversation about your family and your friend circles. I'm like, okay, this is someone who is living diversity and inclusion in her own personal life and not just teaching it or encouraging other people to do it. So I really like that, um, that you're doing that from a place of actual experience. Thank you. I I actually very much appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yes, you are welcome. What was your childhood like and how has that influenced the path that you're currently on? Well, so I grew up uh, in Toronto in Canada and I am the first child of two immigrants. So my parents both came here as adults from Europe, two different Mm. countries in Europe and met here as adults. And so the reason I say that, and it's relevant, is that I didn't grow up with family here outside of them. So all of my family is scattered, you know, around Mm. primarily, you know, four, six countries in Europe. Um, And my parents forged their own paths here. So they were both entrepreneurs. They had a 20-year age gap between them, um, almost 20 years, 19 years. Um, between them, which was significant. Um, mm-hmm. And I grew up in a very, with a very different paradigm than I, than a lot of 
people my age had. I still, it's funny because I still talk about this with friends today where they're, they'll ask me questions about how I grew up or why I think the way I do. And mm-hmm. I can almost always map it back to my parents because they were risk takers. They were mm-hmm. risk takers. They were very committed to discussion and curiosity. Every, I was allowed to ask a question about anything. I did not have to accept things just because they were. I was always empowered to ask a question and to push back and encouraged to share my thoughts. Might be why I'm so opinionated these days. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was always welcome. Everything was a discussion in my house. Um, And that combined with uh, my, it was very important to my father that I was raised to be independent and to not have to rely on anyone unnecessarily. Yeah. There there are some downsides to that, right? I can, I am not always great at asking for help Mm -hmm. in a timely manner as a result, but again, it was different than even, you know, I was growing up in the eighties. It's different than a lot of the girls my age. There was no difference. If a boy could do it, I could do it. My father was like, you want to go do that? Go do it. Mm -hmm. You are, capable as capable as anyone else is. And so I share all of that because, um, you know, we were a bit of a, a misfit family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were definitely not traditional and they were not the norm and they didn't think about things or approach things traditionally. And I was always encouraged, always encouraged to do the same thing, to, to be an individual and to lean into what I was capable of and discover what that was and ask questions. And so all of that um, has really, it's so interesting when I think about it, just Mm -hmm. how important that is to the work that I do now and who I am in the world, because the work that I do is all about curiosity and understanding and asking questions and breaking down assumptions and questioning biases and moving out of black and white thinking and finding the best ways to include everyone. And all of that stuff that I just told you is exactly what my parents were doing with me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I love the fact that um, you were able to, you know, go so in depth about your experience. I feel like we have a bit of similarity. Well, not for, for me, not with my parents per se, but just the environment that I grew up in, because as a Jamaican, you are encouraged to be competitive, especially if you um, you have big goals and big dreams. First of all, you're encouraged to have big goals and big dreams, and um, you're encouraged to really go after them and be the best, especially when we're outside of Jamaica. <laughs> we're told if you go in a room, people need to know that you are there and you need to speak with intelligence, speak with clarity and make your presence felt. And so that sort of drive and determination has really carried me uh, throughout my career as well. So I think it's so important that our, you know, our childhoods play such an important role. And then isn't it funny that you had to go to business school, I imagine, so that you could be qualified (laughs) to do what your parents taught you to do. Isn't that ironic? Well, so 
Yes. And, um, I didn't, I didn't go to business school. Oh, you didn't I, go to business school. Oh, okay. I did not know. So, when I, Pardon when me, I, I made no, a presumption no, 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 based no, 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 on... No. No, you're fine. I it's I'm I'm actually more entertained by it because um I am inherently a rule breaker thanks mm. to my parents. I'm inherently <laughs> rebellious. So I looked at going to business school uh -huh. and I looked at pursuing an education that way and I was like that's just going to make me think like everyone else mm -hmm. who has that degree. What can I do instead that I can learn the things I need to know, but not get stuck in a way of thinking. And by the way, I know lots of people with MBAs and I know, and it's not a dig. That was just my perception mm -hmm, of it at the, mm -hmm. at the time. And so I, instead of doing that, I ended up, you know, I was an entrepreneur. I ran my, I started my own business when I was like 19, 20 that I sold in my mid twenties. I worked in, um, um, a corporate environment for 11 years um, I got coach training. So I went and got, mm -hmm. um, you know, very high level executive and corporate coach training. Um, and then I, the rest of it was really by either studying on my own or getting mm -hmm. into businesses and learning in the field. Mm, more hands-on. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, maybe this can sound snobbish, but for me, I really have a serious problem when, um, like, for example, a big event is going on and the conversation is around business, but the lecturer or the main speaker has never, ever run a business. And I'm like, this is so disingenuous. You're going to be speaking to a crowd of entrepreneurs, um, you know, giving them advice. But all of your knowledge is just based on case studies, not actually doing, you know, being in the grind, you know, like yeah. all the people you're speaking to. So I'm like, I can't, I can't, I just can't do it. I, I, I'm, it's hard for me to place a lot of value on what that person has to say. So I'm, it's refreshing to hear that you also have, you know, you had a similar attitude, work Absolutely. in corporate, run yeah. a business and then get the coaching to help people to, to navigate the waters, um, of being an executive. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Tell me a little bit about your first business though. I don't want you to skip over that so fast. <laughs> um, how did you start that? Why did you start that? Um, and then what led you to ultimately selling it? So I had, um, so I had my first job. This is not my first business, but there's a reason I'm saying this. I was forced into my first job mm -hmm. at 12 years old by my father who told me that if, you know, it was basically you're old enough to have a job of some sort. And so I was taken to the farmer's market where he had friends and worked for one of the farm stands at the farmer's market every Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. And that was great. I mean, they paid me $20 for six hours of work. And I thought I was <laughs> the richest 12-year-old on the planet. I was convinced that this was perfect. And it gave me that much younger than I think a lot of people. I, I mean, I didn't have any friends that were working in any capacity at that point in time. Mm -hmm. um, so very young, I was like, oh, hang on. It's nice having some extra money to buy things that I want or, you know, having, I mean, it was $20. It's, it's laughable now, but at that point, mm -hmm. it felt like a million. So I say that because when I was in university and I was like 19, 20, 
I was doing part-time jobs. So I was working in retail. I worked in a hair salon and the part-time hourly wage wage at that point here was, this is, I mean, I'm dating myself, but it was $6 and $6 and 85 cents an hour, which is, I mean, so you work 10 hours for less than $70 and they take taxes off that as well. Oh my God. And I was like, this is, I mean, things were cheaper, but I was like, this is a terrible amount. This <laughs> does not seem right. Yeah. And so I got a job tutoring because I had volunteered and I'd been tutoring for years at the schools that I got to. And so I got a job tutoring and I worked for a tutoring agency and they paid me $25 an hour. And I was like, this is a way better use of my yeah. time. Yeah. And then I found out that they were charging the students' parents 50 or $75 an hour. Oh my God. And I was like, hold up. Oh, I can... I can just go directly to parents and make mm-hmm. 50 or $75 an hour. And I had a wait list of students who wanted to work with me just based on like my area of specialty. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that exciting. It was like, um, it, it was essay writing and English specifically <laughs> with okay. teenagers, but a lot of people didn't want to work with teenagers. A lot of people didn't want to do that sort of, and I loved that stuff. So I was like, I'm going to just, go to the parents directly. And so I started a tutoring company Mm, and the first couple, the first couple of years, it was just, it was literally that it was just hour by hour making way more money than any of my friends were making at the time for the amount of hours I was working. I wasn't working so many hours that I was rolling in money, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, five hours of work a week was $250 or or $300 plus, which was way more than most people were making for five hours of work. Yeah. So, um, at a certain point, I started tutoring teenagers that were prepping for um, entry into U.S. schools for the SAT. And I somehow fell into working with athletes that weren't looking to get the best score, but they were looking for a specific strategy. And I created a program around that and did that for a few years. So I just ran these programs and workshops, again, much better use of my time, fewer hours, better return on, like I joke all the time that I was basically driven by greed. As soon as I realized like, hang on, I can make more money if I do it this, well, I'm just going to do it. Hang on. I can now teach six kids at once for twice the money. Let's just do that. Right. So that was kind of, there was that going on, maximizing my time. I was still a student. Um, And then in my mid twenties, when I moved cities, I sold the IP for that. Mm -hmm. Listen, that program is long gone. This SAT has changed so many times now. It's so, but at the time it was unique because it wasn't targeting the only target for the programs that were commonly done were kids that were looking to get the best score Mm -hmm. for scholarships. And that's not what these, that's not what this niche was looking for. Right. So That's what I did. I found this niche and I created this program and I ended up selling that I mean, it was not, it was for not a ton of money. It was a long time ago, Mm -hmm. but I sold the IP to a company that used it for the next couple of years. So nice. Yeah. Nice. I love that story. Okay. Go girl. (laughs) You were, um, yeah, your dad is something special because, um, did he have to convince your mom to, to get you to work? Um, no, the not at all. Basically, my mom was like, as long as I do not, because I had to be at the market at 6 a.m., so I had to be up and leaving by 5. My mom was like, as long as I don't have to get up, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it was really like, to their credit, 
as much as my parents were very different and they were, my dad was really clear, like, this is important. And here's why it teaches her independence. It teaches her how to work with money. It is a practical way of doing math all the time because I had to do, I was selling at these stands. I was literally one of their salespeople, Mm -hmm. by the way, being a cute 12 year old girl in a market it's like adults loved to come and buy from me because it was this thing you don't see very often. Right. Right. Um, Very popular. So I had to do lots of math in my head. We weren't allowed to use cash registers or calculators. It all had to be done in my head and it was always checked. So my dad was basically like, look, it gives her independence. She's down at the market by herself every Saturday. She's got to learn to manage herself and deal with things. It gives her some money to play with. It is doubling down on math and practical applications. It's still safe because we know the, like he was friends Mm -hmm. with the farmers. So it's not this, like, we don't know where she's going to be. People will be looking out for her, even if she doesn't realize it. And my mom was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Uh, So from the perspective of uh, entering this space of entrepreneurship, uh, for well, another service business. Uh, were there any challenges initially that you had to work towards overcoming? Oh, I mean, there were nonstop challenges. Mm-hmm. It was 100% challenge. Um, <laughs> I had been in corporate for 11 years, and even though I sold my my tutoring business, so the IP for it, not the actual business, but the IP for my business two years into being in corporate. So I'd basically been out of anything entrepreneurial for nine years. Mm. Um, Everything had changed when I, you know, when I sold the IP to my business, there were no smartphones. The Mm. internet was slow as molasses. There were none of the tools. Internet marketing wasn't a thing. Email lists weren't a thing. Social media wasn't a thing. So I stepped out of a very analog way of being an entrepreneur got into corporate, had a very, I mean, I don't think personally particularly efficient or effective way, but a very structured and specific Mm -hmm. way of doing Mm -hmm. things. And then was stepping into the wild world of entrepreneurship again, but it was a brand new world. And so it was hard uh, and expensive. Mm -hmm. I the first year plus maybe year to like 15 ish months of my business, I basically burned through my savings and I burned through my, like any cash flow I had to get my business started was gone Mm -hmm. because I didn't, I was, you know, spending money on the wrong things. I was putting my attention on the wrong things. I was marketing to the wrong people. I was like, you know, I, I, between, I just had the wrong idea Mm -hmm. and not wrong for me. I'm not saying it's wrong in general, it was wrong for me and it was the wrong order for me to be doing things. And I wasn't, I didn't know, I knew enough for it to be dangerous, but not enough for it to be effective. Mm. And so um, I just kept making mistake after mistake and wasting time and wasting money and not knowing what to do. And then someone would say, do this. And I would go all in on that. And then that wasn't really, and I didn't know how to assess anything. And I didn't Mm. know, you know, I didn't know how to get to, who I thought was my ideal client was not my ideal client. And then I didn't know what to do when I figured that out. And I had a idea of what a coaching business should look like, but then I wasn't, you know, that idea when it was in action, wasn't really what I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I didn't know what else it could be. And it was just a lot of churn. It was the first year to year and a half was a lot of churn. 
Yeah. Um, and it was when I really started stepping out of my comfort zone and very intentionally and directly challenging the assumptions that I had about how this should look or what it yes. should be and challenging the beliefs that I had about it and challenging the common stories that people were saying or trying to sell me and questioning things and, you know, really leaning into some of those things that are hilariously my strengths anyways, but I had just tossed out the window because someone else, someone else was going to give me the silver bullet that would make this work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is literally what I was driven by. Someone else knows better and they are going to, it's, they're going to fix this for me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I had to get rid of that. And, mm-hmm. um, it, there were tons of challenges. I mean, I, I'm not kidding when I say I burned through all of my savings. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, on that note, I just want to go back to your bio where, um, you said that, uh, connection, courage, yep. curiosity, <laughs> and it's amazing that these things that, you know, you knew to be true for yourself, for some reason, you may have been downplaying that initially, not realizing that a lot of organizations actually lack these kinds of values or, you know, they're trying to figure out how do I incorporate more of these values, diversity, inclusion, everybody's talking about this, but how do I do this? And you've been living it all your life, basically. So, um, you know, I just wanted to really highlight that sometimes we have to really trust ourselves and um, the things that come naturally, the things that are, are easy for us sometimes, though, you know, that's where the currency is you know, big currency as, you know, as a matter of fact. I just want to say, I think that's a really important observation for people to make note of when they listen to this, because we can, it's so, and I know, and I'm, I did this and that's why I want to call it out for what it is. I thought things should look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And because I was focused on the should, and it should be this way, I was missing what I was bringing to the table. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so I was trying to live into this weird aspirational thing should be this way. This is what should matter. It should look this way. I was in, I was playing in the shoulds and I was missing out on what I, and I don't even think like truth be told at that point, I could not have said those connection, courage and curiosity. I could not have said it that clearly mm-hmm. because I was so focused on what it should be. Yeah. It should be something else. It shouldn't be these things that just seem to come easy to me. It can't be as simple as I'm really good at building relationships and yeah. connecting with people. It can't be that it has to be something else. And I think it's a, and I, and women, especially in my experience, it's a real trap for women to acknowledge and really, truly acknowledge what their strengths are and what comes naturally to them and be yeah. confident in that and lean into it. Yeah, yeah. Something just came to my mind. Like, it's amazing how many business people, businesses just lack that, the understanding of how to build relationships, how to effectively communicate your position without coming off as being adversarial or antagonistic, how to get that win-win without bullying your way into getting the result. So, you know, I'm. thank you so much for... <laughs> Going into this, because we (laughs) undervalue so many things that just come natural to us. I mean, for someone else, it might not be building relationships, but it may be um, 
it may be other things or whatever it is that comes naturally to you, you know, don't forget to um, highlight that as much as possible. Uh, So my next question, (laughs) executive coaching, I really want you to, you know, dive in a bit about why you think this area is so important for businesses to invest in. I'm, you know, and I'm fully going to own that, obviously, as an executive coach, I'm biased. Of course. (laughs) They know that, but (laughs) still, I'm sure you'll be able to, you know, throw in a a doses of objectivity in there. (laughs) Yes. Um, I, you know, in my experience, the biggest, I'm going to, I'm going to say a few things, but I want to acknowledge this up front. Um, Hi there, Driven Woman. I'm interjecting here to let you know that I have launched the Driven Woman Leadership Circle private Facebook community. This is a community for elite women leaders who want to experience more money, more influence, a curated lifestyle that brings them more joy and more achievement. This community is filled with like-minded women who also have a desire to design and execute their own version of humanity and lead fully. The link to join the group will be in the show notes and you can also hop on over to Instagram where you'll see the link in my bio. And of course, I invite you to send me a direct message for the link if you so desire. All right, let's get back to the show. Nobody needs a coach. Mm-hmm. Nobody needs a coach. We are all fully capable of doing anything we want on our own. That's true whether you're an executive, whether you're a business owner, whether you're an athlete. Nobody needs a coach. And when you're working with a coach in any of those capacities and they're, they specialize in the thing that you do or the area that you're looking for help in, right? So I do executive coaching in a very relational way. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's not, I am not the person that you hire if you want to increase your sales numbers Mm -hmm. because we're doing sales coaching. Mm -hmm. I am the person you hire when you want to improve the quality of your conversations, improve Mm -hmm. the culture and and the team dynamics, improve, you know, your ability to step into difficult conversations, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So we all have a different specialty. Um, and, and there there's space for all of them, but the reason that you work with a coach is because you get the results you want faster Mm, because it's more efficient and it's more effective because they are seeing the blind spots. They are seeing the areas for improvement. They are pushing you in the ways that work for you to consistently move forward. Anyone can get to the Olympics. Any sprinter can get to the Olympics without a coach. If they are dedicated enough and they are consistent enough and they can see all their air, they can do it on their own. But you'll note that everyone at the Olympics has a coach yeah. because having that person walk by your side, hold that space for you, be in your corner, helping you be your best constantly, that's what makes it efficient. That's what makes it effective. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's a really big piece. Uh, To me, that's a really obvious reason to invest in coaching is that it just helps things move faster, more efficiently, correct mistakes more quickly, have people realize their blind spots just, you know, in an exponentially faster and more um, constructive way than anything else that's set up in organizations currently. Mm. Um, 
And I, I, you know, I think the other big reason to hire a coach, especially if you're looking at executive or leadership coaching is that it's really lonely Mm -hmm. as an executive or a leader and having a space that is confidential and is safe and is, you can talk about all the messy middle of what's going on and you don't, you can, you know, work out what you are actually going to say to your team or how you're going to communicate something without the worry of someone misinterpreting it or it Mm -hmm. potentially becoming a scary thing for their job. There's so much value in not feeling alone when you're in those roles. And I think the mental health aspect of that, while it is incredibly important, the shifting perspective aspect of that and the touch point of I'm not alone and I have someone who's in this with me, working alongside me, in my corner, helping me be the best version of myself cannot be downplayed, um, especially in a year like this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you been able to do a comparison between what your female clients have been like versus your male clients? And um, let me go further to, as it relates to like what they, you found to be their major roadblocks uh, in their roles. So um, I have not done a, this is not a formal study. This is just anecdotal, (laughs) anecdotal Mm -hmm. information. Men and women, uh, males and females have very different challenges that they're facing mm-hmm. inside a leadership. I'm not going to call it executive because depending on the size of the business, they may just call it leadership, but yeah. in, in any sort of leadership role. And so the challenges that they, the, so the, my anecdotal experience has been that some of the themes for my male clients are around, um, you know, how they're coming, how to improve the way they communicate to be more empathetic, to be more inclusive, to be, um, you know, to, to not run from the assumptions that they have about how things operate, mm-hmm. things like that. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's very, external in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to explain what I mean by them. I'm trying to think of the right word in contrast to women, mm-hmm. women the, the, the females that I tend to work with, um, they tend to be, ha- be more effective at communicating empathy. Mm-hmm. They tend to be more effective at, you know, keeping their cool, let's call it in a, in a challenging conversation at, at managing their emotions at, um, you know, regulating and not reacting or overreacting. Right. So they might react, but it's not perceived as an overreaction. It's not getting angry or bullying or whatever the case may be. Okay. However, they, over the themes with them tend to be like they will overcompensate um, for insecurities okay. by trying to do everything or mm. by never putting themselves forward for something because they're not qualified for it mm-hmm. or um, 
by taking on this act of this is how the males in this company are acting. So I'm going to act like them. Mm -hmm. And then they never feel like they get to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And so there's, it's really interesting to work with, you know, both men Mm -hmm. and women and Mm -hmm. see how women tend to internalize a lot of things and men tend to broad generalization here for the record, but yeah. men tend to externalize it. And so with men, it's all, I, we're often working on the external, like the behaviors, obviously the beliefs that drive them, but really the behaviors are the biggest problems. And with yeah. women, it tends to be the beliefs really are the biggest problem mm. because it's so internalized. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I asked because I noticed these differences all the time and I wanted to to have an idea as to what your experience has been like. And to also communicate to the listeners that some of these same issues that you have, chances are other people are also struggling with these issues, especially that part about wanting to do everything. Um you know, people are struggling with that too. And, you know, there is a space or there is a resource like an executive coach to assist you with getting over that hurdle. Because I think nobody recognizes how horrible trying to do everything is or how horrible avoiding delegation is until you are too tired to do anything (laughs) Um, or or your body starts to fall apart. So um, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Can I add something really quickly mm-hmm, onto mm-hmm. that? I, I want to note this because when you were when you were, what you just said, I think was a, a wonderful summary and a really great reminder that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. That whatever we're experiencing, someone else is experiencing. And one of the things that comes up with men and women, um, just women tend to be more aware of it early on, is imposter syndrome. Mm. And I don't work with a single executive in any capacity, in any sized organizations, and some of them are very large organizations that they are the CEO of, who does not experience imposter syndrome. Mm. Mm. They may not tell everyone about it because you you can't. I, I, I recognize that it's not a thing that we go around advertising, yeah. but everyone is experiencing it. And I think it is really important to acknowledge that because when you're in your own head, I do it when I'm in my own head and I'm like, I'm not, I, there's other people out there who know so much more and that you you get, you get caught into all those stories. It's really easy to do. And everyone does that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Celine, what are your thoughts on self-care? Do you make an effort to implement it or you think that it's just, I think people say, what are your thoughts? I think that I don't, I mean, I don't love the term self-care necessarily mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people have taken it and interpreted it to mean you're doing a facial every night and getting a picture <laughs> once a week. So I don't love that part of it. However, yeah. every single person should be taking the time to do the things that bring them joy and make them feel good about themselves, whatever that is. Yeah, exactly. And it should should be a part of every, I don't, it's not even a weekly thing. There should be some of that in every single day. I don't care. I don't. Daily rituals. Yes. It doesn't make a difference. Listen, 
my daily ones are not super exciting. I love to read. I mm-hmm. am a nerd at my core and I embrace it and I love to read. <laughs> and so I read, even if it's 10 pages a day, I read every single day. You know, I love, I, there's, there are, I love crappy TV shows, certain <laughs> crappy TV shows. I will make an effort that I will watch half an hour of television a day, sometimes more, sometimes less. But like that is truly just sheer enjoyment for me because it lets me get out of my head. I work out quite often. I love spinning. Yeah. I have a, you know, I have a spin bike in my house for the pandemic. And so, so I'm like, how I have 20 minutes. I'm going to hop on the bike because it's fun. It makes me yeah. feel good about myself. Mine doesn't have to be yours, but right. whatever it yes. is, right. Whatever it is, lighting a candle and having a bath, watching a crappy television show, watching a great television show, reading, drawing, coloring, you know, painting your nails, cooking. I love to cook. A glass of wine. It doesn't make a difference. But knowing what that thing is that makes you feel great and brings you joy, that's what's really important about self-care. Yes, thank you. Yes, I love that. I love that. All right. Um, On the note of books, do you have a favorite book? And if yes, why? I have a lot of favorite books. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's that's just real. Um, I'm going to give you two Okay. Um, the book that, uh, changed my life that I tell everyone about because I am a one hit wonder when it comes to this and I cannot emphasize it enough. I read it 15 years ago and it literally changed my life Mm. is the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Oh my God. This book is on my desk right now. (laughs) I, I kid you not. Um, one of my girlfriends told me to read it a few weeks ago and then I shared something on WhatsApp with a, a former client and she was like, oh, by the way, I'm selling books now. And then I saw it and I was like, I need to get this book. She dropped it off today. Okay, so continue. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I lo- this is why I'm, I'm like, I, just, I keep, I should be getting a kickback for how much I talk about this book. I, <laughs> it's brilliant. It is simple. It is easy to read. Everything comes down to the whole wisdom behind it because it's based on totemic wisdom is if you can change these four things, if you can be aware of these four things in your life, your life will be incrementally easier and better. You will be more effective. You will be happier. You name it. These four simple things change everything. And they are the hardest things to change. They're the hardest things to be aware. One of them, the one that I talk about all the time is don't make assumptions. I Mm. actually texted someone today. I'm just going to write a book called don't make assumptions because it's a non it's nonstop what I talk about with people because we are so primed to make assumptions. And if we stop making assumptions, if we ask better questions, if we check our assumptions, if, and you know, if we change the patterns around it, our life is incrementally easier because we are not assuming what someone else's intent is. And it's impossible for us to know what their intent is. Mm. And sometimes they don't know what it is. So until you ask them what their intent is, they don't even realize it and haven't thought about it in that way. Mm. And they're just running from their own assumptions. So the book is life-changing. It's very simple. I can't recommend it enough. Um, And the second book I'm going to give you, and it's a whole different ball game, um, but it is a children's book. It's a young adult book. Okay. Uh, it's a very old book. It's a wrinkle in time by Madeline okay. Longla. Okay. Um, they made a movie about it a few mm-hmm. years ago, but that, um, I've reread it multiple times. And I think 
the the world that she creates and the way that she creates this world that is fantastical and inclusive and different and open to different perspectives and open to different ways of thinking and non-judgmental i think was so ahead of her time and so magical mm-hmm. and i read it as a child and it just had a huge effect on me in terms of how I thought about things and, and how I approach things. And so it's a young adult book. It's really easy to read, but it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful mm. story. Mm. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, have you gotten the chance to check out the, the, um, what they call this, the, the soundtrack? Yes. The soundtrack for a wrinkle in time. I think the soundtrack is, is pretty awesome. I don't, I saw the movie, but I don't think I've listened to the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to change that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love the songs. One of the songs in particular is a song that I listen to all the time to kind of get me pumped up. It's it's by these two girls, Chloe and Haley, I think. Yeah, it's called Warrior. Really love that song. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah, you should check that out. All I right. This is, this is too weird because... You're all the way in Canada. I'm all the way in Kingston, Jamaica. And we've been able to identify on so many themes. Um, okay. <laughs> Life well, is amazing. It totally is. This is the joy of things like this, right? As you get to really connect and realize that there, we actually, as humans, this is my belief, we have more connection points than differentiators. Mm-hmm. And we get so hung up on what the differences are, right? The difference is that you're Jamaican and I'm Canadian. The difference is that this person's religion is not my religion. Mm-hmm. The difference is that that person's married and I don't believe it or whatever the case may yeah, be. We get yeah. so stuck on the differences that we forget. Like we actually probably have more connection points yeah. and more values in line and more you know, commonalities of whatever it is than not. So why do we, why do we get stuck in the differences? This is a great example of like, look how randomly we are aligned on the, all of these things. Who would have known an hour ago? Who would have known? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So do you have a personal mantra motto or saying that you live by? Oh, um, the, you know, it's funny. So the one that I always quote, because it it comes to mind first every single time mm-hmm. is a children's poem. Apparently, I really like children's <laughs> literature. Uh, it's a children's poem. And it is, um, listen, it's Shel Silverstein. Listen to the mustn'ts child, listens to the don't, listens to the impossibles, the mm. never coulds, the won'ts. Listen, cl- it's, I'm killing it. Listen close to everything, but listen to me, anything can happen, child, anything can be. And that last part is always, clearly, I don't know all the details. I don't remember it perfectly. But that last part um, has always really resonated with me. The, you know, anything can happen and anything can be. And let's not, you know, let's not get stuck in what someone else has told us. Full circle, let's not get stuck in what someone else has told us or what we think something should look like. Because that's everyone else's stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's really easy for us to get caught up in it. And that that Shel Silverstein poem, I think, is just a really great reminder that none of that is yours and Mm -hmm. you don't have to take it on. Yeah, yeah, love that. All right, so my final question to you, Celine, is... What keeps you driven? Oh, um, the fact that there are so 
many people in the world who don't feel safe, who don't feel seen and recognized Mm -hmm. for who they are, who don't know what their place is, who don't know what they're doing. Um, And I just think that sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am really driven to change that in whatever way I can and, and help people step into the best version of who they can be and constantly be growing that um, and improving that because it's not a one-time thing. We're all on a journey. There's no, there's no end game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, that inequality in the world, that lack of compassion, that lack of ability to see other people for the beautiful creatures they are. That's really the thing that drives me to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Celine. It was a total pleasure having you on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Yes, yes, you are welcome. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Driven Woman podcast. If you received a value from this conversation, I encourage you to share it with a friend and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews allow other driven women to benefit from the amazing conversations that we have over here. Follow the show on Instagram at Driven Woman Podcast and on Twitter at The Driven Woman Show. Until next time, stay driven.